Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. There's a certain wisdom that, that is found in an aged man or woman who has lived for God for a lifetime that really cannot be found or cannot be gained or gleaned in any other way. The Bible talks about that. It talks about the fact that the, the, the white hair is a crown of glory, meaning there are some things for somebody that lives for God for a lifetime that they have some wisdom to share with us uh, that really, because of the things they've been through and they've seen and they've grown and the Lord's taught them, uh, you really can't, you can't learn it any other way. You've heard the phrase before, experience is the best teacher. And I've heard somebody else say to that, somebody else's experience is the best teacher. Learn from someone else's mistakes, right? But there, there is something to walking through the valleys and the mountaintops, the trials, the struggles, the victories, all of those things, walking through those things um, that, that God uses to teach us and to mature us and to develop us in ways that otherwise we would not have been. That's one reason I'm excited for you to hear uh, Dr. Sisk next Sunday. And, and, and what we're going to hear tonight in 1 Samuel 12, this is the fourth week in this series, Studying the Life of King Saul, we've entitled Toxic Leadership. But we actually haven't really even jumped, we haven't jumped into really much of King Saul's reign at all. This, this is all been introductory leading up to it. The first week was, why did Israel need a king or why did they get a king? They didn't really need a king. They wanted a king. Why did they want a king? And we studied that. Be careful what you wish for. And, and we studied who was Saul, where did he come from, and looked at some of his leadership. Two Sunday nights ago, we looked at some of his leadership and, uh, and, and saw some of the things about him. And so this is kind of probably the last week of introduction, teaching us and uh, learning who he was. We've gone through uh, 1 Samuel 9, 10, 11, and now tonight, chapter 12. Each Sunday night, we've been looking at a chapter, and we'll move into his reign um, the next time we're here in this series. Um, in the next uh, next week will be Dr. Sisk, and then we have the Christmas music service. So probably in, in three, three, two or three weeks from now, we'll jump into and actually jump into his reign. But tonight, what we're going to see is the wisdom of a godly man who is nearing the end of his journey. He has fulfilled God's calling upon his life. And what he's going to teach us by, by way of what he taught the Israelites and King Saul, in this chapter, we're going to learn the difference between merely starting right and ending right. Between God's blessing and usefulness in our lives, in, in our homes, and in our nation, or God's judgment and the pain of the consequences of our decisions. Samuel, this aged prophet that's moving off the scene as King Saul, this young strapping king, moves onto the scene. Samuel is going to share some things with us tonight. This man that has lived for God, he's known some family heartache. He's known some personal heartache. If I could put it this way, he's known some professional heartache. We saw some of that when they asked for a king and Samuel came to God and said, what are these people that I've led, what are they doing? kind of what you might call professional heartache, those that he invested in. God said, don't worry, Samuel, they're not, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And tonight he's going to share some things as he's getting ready to, they're opening a new chapter in Israel's history and, and, and they're closing the chapter on his life and ministry, if you will. He's going to share some things and, and really give them some wisdom for their future. He's going to give them the secret between a bright future and a burdensome future. And you're going to have to pay attention, especially early on here, kind of on purpose. We're going to, we're going to walk through this chapter. This is, the, as we walk through the chapter, will be the bulk of the message. I don't have, uh, you know, some, some detailed outline tonight. It's really uh, some simple thoughts once we get through it. We're going to walk through this chapter together. I'd encourage you to follow along in Scripture for yourself. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you there to grab that. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 12. And I want you to see Samuel now speaking to the children of Israel, of course, King Saul, this new king getting ready to take the throne and, and see the wisdom of a man who has lived for God for a lifetime. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse number 1, And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice and all that ye said unto me and have made a king over you. 
And now, behold, the king walketh before you. And I am old and gray-headed. And behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. You've watched me for my whole life. Behold, here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose ass have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes therewith? And I will restore it you. What a, what a powerful, powerful thing to say at the end of your life. With those that know you best, with those that you've served for a lifetime. Okay, now's your chance. I want to leave with a clean conscience. Who did I do wrong? Where, where did I take a bribe and, I, and I, 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 I messed up in my leadership? I was not who I should have been. Tell me where I did it wrong and I want to make it right right now. And notice what it says in verse 4. And, and they said, Thou hast not defrauded us nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. What a testimony. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for somebody to be able to say about us? And he said unto them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day. King Saul, that ye have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. And, and again, the joy there we see, it's not my message, but the joy of a clean conscience, of a good testimony, of a life well lived. Now, by the way, was Samuel perfect? Yes or no? No. Did he raise the perfect family? Yes or no? Did, did, had, he, had he been the perfect leader? Yes or no? No. And, and so this isn't talking about trying to attain for some perfection, but there was an integrity. There was a faithfulness. There was a, a clean conscience there as he's getting ready to leave the scene. Verse 6, And Samuel said unto the people, he reminds them why they have the blessings they have. What are the next four words, church? Samuel said unto the people, the next four words, church, verse 6, what does it say? It is, it is who? It's the Lord. Now, if I'm going to leave, I want one of my last messages to you to be, it's all of him. It's all of him. Any good that's happened in our nation, any good that's happened in my leadership, Samuel says, it is the Lord. God is the one that's been faithful and true. He said, it is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron and that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. When Jacob was coming to Egypt and your fathers cried unto the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And, and when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the host of Azor, and into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them and they cried unto the Lord. And notice his message as he's speaking is all about the Lord. We would do well to make much of our message about the Lord. And, and he said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served Balaam and Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hands of our enemies and we will serve thee. Aren't you glad that when we do mess up, we can come to the Lord? We can cry to him and he hears our cries even when we've made a mess of our lives. He said, "If you'll, God, would you deliver us and we'll serve you? Notice verse 11. And the Lord sent Jerubal and Bedan, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelled safe. God heard you. God loved you. God protected you. God loved you in spite of you. God forgave you. He's a God of mercy and long-suffering. Verse 12, and when you saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, you said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Samuel's recounting their history. Your history is all one of God's working in your lives. In the good times and in the bad. In the times when you were following him and in the times when you weren't. And he said, and how did we get here today? We got here today because you guys wanted a king. And I've already preached my message to you, Samuel says earlier. I told you, here's what's coming if you want a king. And you said, give us a king. So really, in some ways, he's reminding them of the unwise decision they've made. He said, the Lord was your king. I, even just thinking about that, you had a king, it was the Lord, and you wanted a different king. There's a lot communicated in that phrase right there, in that verse right there. Now notice what he says. You would think maybe a scathing indictment is coming. Notice what he says, verse number 13. Now therefore, behold the king whom you have chosen. Take a look, take a good look. Here's Saul, and whom you have desired. And behold, the Lord hath set a king over you. 
even in your mistakes, God is still at work in those things. In verse 14, would you read verses 14 and 15 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. If ye will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. So he gives them this message. Here's how we got here. And here's, you have two paths facing you. Your future has two destinations. He continues on. Let's finish up the chapter. Verse 16. He's going to remind them of how powerful God is. Just to remind them as he's leaving, don't, don't, don't think that you can mess around with God. Verse 16. Now therefore stand and see this great thing, which the Lord, Samuel had a whole lot to say about the Lord, didn't he? Which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain, and that ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord in asking you a king. Samuel reminds them, and we're going to get here, Samuel's kind of going back and forth. God loves you. God's delivered you. You messed up. God still has good plans for you, but you messed up. And he says, I just want to remind you that, that you have messed up, but God is not done with you, but don't forget who he is. Verse 18. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly, what does it say there, church? Greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. We're going to get here in a minute. A couple different times we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord. And we use the word fear really in only one way. It's a terror. And in the Bible, let's talk about the terror of the Lord. There is, there is a a magnitude to his power that can cause fear in the hearts of his creation. But most of the time in the Bible, when you see it talking about the fear of the Lord, it's not talking about the fact that you and I are supposed to live our lives cowering in fear. Oh, he, he, how is he going to get even with me right now? We're going to see that actually in just a minute from Samuel. How, he's going to strike me with lightning. Oh, I messed up there. And he's angry and he's mad. And, and I, saw, I saw a meme. Let's see if I can remember right now. Just recently, it was good. It, it said, religion says when you mess up, oh, uh, uh, I hope my dad doesn't find out. I wonder how much trouble I'll get in. A relationship with God says, oh, I've messed up. I need to call my dad. Talking about God. That's the difference is we live in this fear. God has never punished. God has only punished one person for your sins. He has never punished anybody, any of his children, any of his, those that are saved. He has never punished any. He's punished one person for your sins, and that was his son Jesus on the cross. God is not looking to punish you. Now, at times, he will chasten you, and he will chasten me. But this is a good example for us as parents. Chastening should never be done out of a heart of revenge, out of, out of a heart of anger. It's done out of a heart of love. Chastening, biblical chastening with our own children and with God to us is not us getting even for their past. It is preparing them for their future. Why do I correct my, not always, because I'm not the perfect father. At times I've corrected my children in anger. And I just, I, they made me mad, and so I'm going to, I'm going to, they made my life miserable, so I'm going to make their lives miserable. I've done that at times. That's not how God operates. God does not get even with his children. If, if you are saved and God chastens you, it is not a punishment for what you've done. It is a chastening, a purifying. Why? The Bible says that, that the chastening of the Lord, it worketh in us the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Why do I want, if I'm, if I'm chastening my own children correctly, what should be my motive to chasten them? To show them that there are negative consequences. There's pain that comes in their life when they make unwise decisions, when they disobey their earthly authority. There is pain that comes into their life. There, is, there are consequences. There are things that happen that make their, where, where their lives are, it, it, there are effects in their lives. So why? Not so that they'll live in fear of me. Why? So that in the future, when faced with those choices, they'll remember, you know what? That brought unwanted consequences to my life. I want to please the Father. There's a difference. And so, so when it says the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord almost always is talking about a reverence, a respect, a wonder at the awesomeness of who God is. You remember Isaiah? 
He said, when I came into his presence, what it just, oh, I couldn't believe what a wretched man I was. Unclean lips, what? That's not, God does not want his children cowering in fear. I wonder how God's gonna, no, he's a loving heavenly father. Now that doesn't mean he's not a God of justice, of righteousness, of holiness. What it does, it changes the relationship. If God wanted to get even with us for our sins, every one of us has sins in our lives and not, not, not one of us would be sitting here today. God is a God of love and of, yes, of justice and of righteousness and of mercy and of holiness and of forgiveness and of long suffering. And that is the God that we serve. And so be careful about the relationship. When it says the people feared the Lord and Samuel, and we're going to see fear again. That's not the idea of, boy, what Adam and Eve did in their sin. They ran and hid from God because they were scared of God. No, God wants, does not want us to run from him when, when we mess up. God wants us to run to him. That doesn't mean there won't be consequences, but do you know if your children run to you when they make a mistake, when they do something wrong, when they disobey and say, and they have the right spirit, I can't, I'm so sorry that I did this. Please forgive me. Would you help me so that I don't do this again? You know that you deal with that child much differently than you do with the child that is hiding, 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 and you have to find all of it out. Same thing here. So we see the fear that the people feared the Lord. Don't get the idea that God wants us walking around in constant anxiety of how he's going to get even with us. That's not the God that we serve. Verse number 19. And all the people said unto Samuel, pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God that we die not. For we have added unto all our sons this evil to ask us a king. By the way, I believe as you see here, verse 19, they had somewhat of a wrong perspective of God. Okay, we see that he's powerful. Would you ask him not to kill us? Notice what he says. Verse 20, and Samuel said unto the people, what are the next two words there, church? Samuel said unto the people, what? Fear not. Ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and turn ye not aside. For then should you go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. By the way, the ways of the flesh, the ways of our world, uh, the ways of, 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 of sinners do not profit or deliver. They are vain things. Verse 22, notice what he says. They're scared God's going to kill them because they asked for a king. What, is he, what does Samuel teach them about God? Verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. God loves you. God forgives you. God cares about you. Now don't live in that fear, Israelites. Now, now, be careful what path you choose because there are consequences to your decisions, but don't live with that fear. Verse number 23, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. He says, Samuel says, I, I commit to you that I'm not going to abandon you spiritually as long as I live. I'm going to pray for you and lead you. Verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. By the way, that is where the, the believer's life should flow from. It should flow from the heart. Consider how great things he hath done for you. God, you've done all of I'm not serving you out of fear. I'm not serving you out of guilt. I'm not even serving you out of duty. There are times that we serve God out of, we might not feel like it, but that is not a sustaining motivation. I'm serving you out of duty. I have to. No, I get to. And Samuel is teaching uh, some, some very integral things to what we would call the Christian life. He said, only fear the Lord. Well, that's not talking about the terror because he just told them, fear not. Fear the Lord. Reverence the Lord. Respect the Lord. Have an awe in your heart of who he is and what he's done and, and, and how he's delivered you. And serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. God, if you've done all of that for me, I want to do whatever little thing I can for you. Paul said it this way, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Us. The love of God leads me, the Bible talks about that the love of God, it leads men to repentance. God's love, the forgiveness, the mercy, because you've done so much for me, I want to give my life back to you. Verse 25, notice it. Would you read verse 25 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both you and your king. We see here Samuel in the last nine, ten verses talking so much about God's power, God's justice, God's mercy, God's love. So Samuel, the aged spiritual leader, he's talking to the children of Israel. How's this thing going to work out? 
how's this thing of a king going to turn out? This was, was, was them having an, a human king. Was that God's plan for their nation and for their family and for their lives? Yes or no, church? No. So what's this going to mean? We messed up. What, are, what does the next five years look like? What does the next decade look like? What, what does the next 20 years, what does the next 100 years look like in our family history? We messed up. Is it all over, Bill? And by the way, we feel that way sometimes, don't we? I messed up. Is it all over now? And Samuel's telling them that just because of some mistakes you've made in the past, don't, don't, don't spend all your time analyzing your past so that it paralyzes your future. And we can do that. And, and God tells them, he says, or Samuel, God using Samuel, tells them, yes, he's a God of mercy and justice and righteousness and love and all of those, and he's a powerful God, but you don't need to live in condemnation. You don't need to live in fear. Have you made a mistake? Yes, you've made a mistake. But does that mean that your life, because you messed up here and it is a major decision that you made, does that mean the rest of your life is completely wasted and there's no hope and there's no use and it's just, we're just waiting until God zaps us and we're done? Samuel says, absolutely not. He said, you have two choices. He says it a couple different times in this chapter. You can choose a path that is pleasing to God or you can choose a path where there are consequences for your choices. You can choose a path of blessings or you can choose a path of burdens. Your past mistakes do not define your future opportunities. And so what's the secret? How do we figure out which way, that, which, which way that's going to go? Here's the, the secret. It's two little letters that are found three different times in this chapter. These two little letters change everything. Samuel teaches them a life-changing lesson that hinges on two letters. Israel... What will determine where this new season in your nation goes for you and where King Saul, where his life goes? You're starting okay. He was a good, Saul didn't ask for this. He was a good man and God anointed him. And the Bible says that the Lord placed him and God blessed him. We saw that last time in chapter 11. God used him and God gave him great blessings. Saul, you have, there's a choice. There's a, a road, a, a fork in the road set before you. Two different paths. What's the secret? Tonight, my message is those two little letters. I've entitled it, The Big If. All right, Israel, it is what it is. You've chosen a king, and I, I remind you that wasn't God's plan. But now you need to decide what you're going to do with where you find yourself from this day forward. And may I say, Christian, you're sitting here and, and maybe you're in condemnation for something you've done or something someone else has done to you and you believe that the decisions of the past define and dictate the coming years, weeks, months, years, maybe even decades of your life. I say to you, just as Samuel said to them, all right, it's a new season in your life and there are two choices and the, the determining factor is, the, is that little two-letter word, if. You decide if you do this, then this, cause and effect. If you choose this, then this. And may I say to you, don't let Satan tell you because of whatever it is here, you're done tomorrow. There's a choice standing between every one of us. If we're still alive, there's a choice. Which path will we take the rest of our lives? Well, you don't know how this person hurt me. Well, you don't know how I hurt this person. You don't know where I've been and you don't know what I've done and you don't know how I've messed up. Does that mean God doesn't care? Oh no, there, there, there are, we see it here, there are consequences and all of that. But, but God has set before us an, an opportunity and an open door and, and we have to decide what it is we will do. With, we cannot change what, what has happened yesterday. We have to decide what we will do today and tomorrow. We can only control our response from this day forward. You and I, just as the children of Israel, Samuel's message to them was, you have a choice to make from this day forward. Now, I'm not glossing over your mistake. You asked for a king, and you had God for your king. Well, please pray that God won't kill us. We shouldn't have asked for the king. But don't worry about that. That's, that's done. You can't change it. Now you have to decide, what do I do from today forward? The big if. Notice it in verse 14. What is that big if? What does he say? If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then, if then, 
Then shall both you and also the king, Saul, that reigneth over you, continue following the Lord your God. What does he say? You have a choice. There's a path of blessing. And where does the path of blessing in our life come from? He gave us a three little point outline there. Number one, fear God, a reverence, a respect, and awe, God in his right place. Number two, he said, and serve him. Fear the Lord and serve God. And then number three, obey God. He said, here's your, here's your choice here today, uh, Israelites. You've messed up some in your past. You have some things you regret back there. And in your history, your family history has some rough stuff. At times you were living for God, and other times you rejected God. But here's what you can control. Don't live your life in terror and in fear. Say from this day forward, if, if you will fear God, serve him, live for him and not for yourself, give him your life, not, not for the worldly pleasures and not for those things, and obey him, get into his word and let his word change you and obey his commandments. If you'll do those things, then it's going to be this thing of being an Israelite, God's people under the leadership of King Saul. It's going to be awesome. And King Saul, God is going to bless you if you will do these things. Fear God and serve him and obey him. Then King Saul, your reign is going to be blessed. Because I have to imagine maybe King Saul was a little bit nervous. Like, wait a second. I'm the king. I didn't ask to be the king. I, I, I'm not the, don't, don't pit me against God. You're, they, God, God chose, they anointed me to be, the, I was just looking for my, my dad's donkeys. I didn't ask for this. And so maybe Saul kind of felt like he got a bum deal. Wait a second, I'm, I'm, I'm in this position that God didn't intend for the nation of Israel, and I believe Samuel, because it says here, you and your king. Samuel is teaching Saul, Saul, don't worry about that. Your life can be used and blessed mightily. You're, you're, you're not destined and doomed to a life of heartache and failure, but it's up to you, the big if, if you do those things. If you fear God, serve God, obey God, you'll find blessings. But notice verse number 15, what does it say? Here it is, I have the word if circled in my Bible, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. You have two choices, a life of God's blessing, doesn't mean a life of ease, but a life of God's blessing and usefulness, or a life of burden and pain and heartache. Notice verse 15, I'm sorry, skip down to verse 20, notice what he says again. Samuel said unto the people, fear not, you have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord. You've messed up, but God can still use you. But serve the Lord with all your heart, and turn you not aside, for then should you go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. Don't worry about your past mistakes. Follow the Lord today, and if you do that, in verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because he had pleased the Lord to make you his people. Verse 24, only fear the Lord, see it again, serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. Verse 25, but, what's that little word there? But what? If you shall still do wickedly, you shall be consumed, both you and your king. It's a very simple message today. You and I, have we messed up some things in the past? Sure. Do we have some regrets? Sure we do. And you know what I believe? I don't believe it's a, it's a, it's a, an unfair application of the scripture here. The nature of God is, okay, we're going to deal with where you find yourself, but if, if you fear me, serve me, obey me, I have a wonderful life of usefulness for you. I will guide you, and I will forgive you, and I will love you, and I will, I will use you, and I will bless you, but if, the difference between starting right and ending right, but if you decide to disobey me, to walk away, to rebel at my word, then there are consequences, blessings or burdens, usefulness or uselessness, God's fruitfulness in our lives or failure in our lives to fulfill God's calling. I think we could apply it. Teenager, you have a bright future ahead of you. God loves you. He has plans for you. But did you know that your life could end up in despair and pain and regret, or it could end up in blessing and fulfillment and significance? What's the deciding factor? Verse 14. If you will fear the Lord, serve him and obey him. What does it say? Then, the, then, then the, you and uh, will, will continue following the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. There are consequences. College student, will you still be in church loving God, growing in him, more in love with him, 
by your junior or senior year, or when you graduate from college, or will you be another one of those statistics of Christian young people who walk away from their faith to pursue, pursue selfish and sinful pursuits in their 20s and beyond? The answer is found, I believe, in verse 14 and 15, the big if. If you will fear the Lord, serve him, and obey him. God, you have my life, and I'll follow you for a lifetime. If you'll do that, God says, I can use you. But if you choose to rebel against the commandments, then there are consequences there. Single man or woman, God has given you gifts and talents and resources, abilities. What will you do with them? Where will they lead you? Will you end up rejoicing at all the ways that God has used you or regretting the ways that this world has used and abused you? What's the secret, the determining factor? I believe it's found in verses 14 and 15, if. I put a choice before you today, Samuel said, if. You serve the Lord, fear Him, obey Him, or if you rebel. New Christian, somebody that's new to the faith, will you know God more, love God more, and be living for God five years from now? Or five years from now, will that time that you were kind of, you experimented with God be just that, just a little blip on the radar of your life? How many times have we seen that happen? What's the difference? Verses 14 and 15, if. Married couple, where will your marriage be five, 10, 20, 50 years from now, will you be more in love, having shed bitter tears together, but rejoicing in the life that you have lived together, or will you just be a bitter person, recounting all the ways that you hate the life you have lived? I believe the answer is found in verses 14 and 15. We have to decide which path we take. I'm going to fear God, serve Him, give my life to Him, obey His word, or am I going to live for self, rebel against His word, do what I want, what makes me feel good? Parents, you have young children or maybe older children. What will they be able to say about your faith and mine? Well, my parents used to go to church. They used to love God. Will my grandchildren, if God should bless us with grandchildren, will your grandchildren know anything of God from your life and example and influence in their lives? What's going to decide that for me? Verses 14 and 15. Samuel, get ready to go off the scene. Israel, let me tell you a little bit about your history. You know this, but let me just remind you it was the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And you messed up some of it. But don't let those past mistakes define your future. If, if, if. America, what will this nation look like 10, 20, 50, or 100 years from now if God should tarry in his coming? I believe the answer is found in verses 14 and 15. But if you'll fear the Lord, serve him and obey him speaking to the nation of israel what did the bible say in chronicles but if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray fear the lord serve him turn from their wicked ways seek my face what did he say to the nation of israel then will i hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their lands they're in a bad spot but if if the big if in your life and in mine. Church family, we have a choice to make in our lives. The reality is we, we do serve a God of love and mercy and compassion, but there are always consequences to our choices. The Bible does say, and sometimes those that, that and I believe in grace, but I believe that sometimes we abuse grace in our preaching, those that would abuse grace want to give us the idea that we can live in any way that we want and it has no impact because God is love and God is love. But we, the Bible talks about it, that we abuse his grace. We, we make his grace of none effect because we use it for an occasion to the flesh. The Bible says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And we have this idea sometimes that maybe those that have grown up in a, in a more, what would be a, a legalistic uh, and, and, uh, environment can sometimes swing the pendulum over here to an abuse of grace. Well, I can do whatever I want to do. And, and by the way, the Bible still says the way of the transgressor is hard. The Bible still says that my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You say, Pastor Ryan, I, I thought we served a loving, forgiving, kind God. It sounds like you're trying to scare me into living for him because if not, God's going to get me when I get older and there's going to, God's not looking to get you, but there are consequences to your decisions and to mine. There are consequences to your actions and to mine. There are consequences to to the way that we listen and live for God and obey his word or, or choose not to. We do serve a loving God. We don't serve out of fear, but we must understand the truth that God, while God forgives sins, he doesn't relieve consequences. 
tonight if I choose to get drunk. I drop my family off at home and I go out and I get drunk tonight. And I get behind the wheel of my car and I begin to drive erratically and maybe I get in an accident or maybe I, God forbid, hit somebody or maybe whatever, they pull me over and arrest me. Do I still serve a loving God tomorrow? Yes or no? Is he still a loving God? Yes or no? Sure he is. Will I still, if I were to die a year from now, will I still go to heaven? Yes or no? If I'm truly saved, sure I will. But, but, but where, what would the consequences of my decision be? If I were to do that, where am I going to end up? I'm going to spend tonight in jail. I'm going to be going to some court trial somewhere in the next week or two or month or two or three. There are going to be legal fees and fines, and depending on if I, if I cause property damage or if I hit somebody, the, the jail time might be longer, and I'm going to spend time in jail. Guess what? I'm not going to be preaching here next Sunday. I won't be your pastor any longer. I'll lose my job this week if I choose to do that. My family will have to find a different place to live and to move, and maybe without me, depending on if I'm in jail. And, and when we look at that, we, nobody would look at that and say, well, that's, God must not love Pastor Ryan. No, what would we say? Pastor Ryan chose a really foolish thing and is paying the consequences for his decision. Oh, I still serve a loving God. My, 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 my God is still a God of love and of mercy and of forgiveness. But I made a decision, I made a choice that brings along with it consequences. My sin of drunkenness and illegal actions will be and, and would be completely forgiven by God. And I will still spend eternity in heaven, but I will face the consequences of my actions here on earth. And, and sometimes that's, we, we go to one extreme or the other, like I can do whatever I want and get away with it. Or every time I sin, God's going to strike me with lightning. And the reality that neither one of those things is true. God is a God of love and of mercy and of justice and of holiness and of forgiveness and of long suffering and, and righteousness all at the same time. He's full of grace and truth. But a reminder that we as his people, our actions do have consequences. This is important to understand. My actions and yours, no matter how good, here on earth, do not get me any closer to heaven. There is nothing, listen to what I say here today, there is nothing that I can do today to make, me, to make God love me any more, and there is nothing that I can do today to make God love me any less. And that's a hard thing for us to compute, because so much of our love is conditional. God's love is unconditional, God loves us because he, of who he is, not because of what we do. And so because of that, again, sometimes we, those concepts are hard for us, so we take them in wrong directions, thinking, well, then I can just live Mardi Gras. I can just live whatever I want, live it up, and do all these things, and it doesn't matter because God still loves me. But again, the love of Christ constraineth me. If I truly understand and embrace and embody and internalize the love of God in my life, I'm not going to want to do those things. The, the work of God in my life is going to change those things. So my actions will not get me farther or closer to heaven, no matter what I do, good or bad. But my actions here on earth can impact, listen to this, they can impact the quality and purpose of my life. My actions can displease or please God. My life can be wasted on self or can make an eternal impact when lived for the Savior. That is what the judgment seat of Christ is all about. What did Paul teach the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Every one of us, the Bible says, I think it's Galatians, every one of us will give an account to God. That is not for our entrance into heaven. That is not to make him love us more or less. But there are earthly consequences for our actions. And by the way, there are eternal consequences for our actions. At the judgment seat of Christ, we will be rewarded for the things that we've done. There are crowns that are given. That is not legalism. Well, you're just, you're just trying to make me do all this stuff. No, I'm not trying to make you do anything. I'm hoping that you fall in love with Jesus so much and you understand what he has done for you and how much he loved you, that it makes you want to love him and live for him. And I'm trying to remind you that your actions do matter. They do have consequences on this earth. 
not, not consequences to our eternal destiny. Our actions have nothing to do with getting us in or out of heaven. That was all about Jesus' actions on the cross and rising three days later from the grave. But there are eternal consequences, if you will, at the judgment seat of Christ. There are rewards that we will get. And, and, and I don't know this for sure, but the Bible does say that they'll wipe away, he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes in heaven. And so sometimes people say there's no crying in heaven. Well, I, I don't, I'm not the, the greatest theologian maybe, but it seems like there probably is crying in heaven because he's going to wipe away the tears. I don't know for sure that, that that's at the judgment seat of Christ, that, that because of the things that we've done here, that there's some pain or some regret. I don't know that for sure, but I do know that Paul said we will give an account of the things we've done on this earth. Not for entrance into heaven, but for rewards or lack thereof that God gives us at the judgment seat. And Samuel is telling them, God loves you. Don't live in terror. Don't live in fear. Serve him from your heart. Don't serve him because you have to. Serve him because you want to. Don't serve him so he doesn't get even with you. Serve him because you love him. So don't, don't read your Bible because somebody's going to force you to. Read your Bible because you want to know more about the God that, that gave you that Bible. Don't, don't give generously to the church because you want to earn your way in this social status. Give, give generously of your financial resources to make a difference so that you have fruit that abounds to your account because somebody gave generously so that you can hear. Give so that others can hear. It's all about motivation, but our actions do matter. The way we live our lives do matter. Every one of us will give an account. So positionally, there is nothing I can do to separate myself from the love of God as a believer. Do you understand that? Grasp a hold of that. If you grew up in a, in, a, in a religious system that taught you that when you did good, God loved you more, and when you did bad, God loved you less. You need to grasp the truth that positionally there is nothing you can do as a child of God to make God love you anymore or to separate yourself. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Power, principalities, nothing. We are in Christ. When God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. By the way, he doesn't love you more because of your good works because he said your good works were as filthy rags. No matter how the best person in here, the one doing the most works for God in here, whoever that is, the one that gives the most money, that prays the most, that reads the most Bible, the one that, that tells the most people about Jesus, I'm glad and there's blessing and reward that comes from that. But the one who does the most for God Everything you do in his sight is as filthy rags. So if you grew up in a system that caused you to believe that I have to do, do, do to earn his love, you need to understand that positionally you are in Christ. There's nothing you can do, nothing I can do to separate myself from the love of God as a believer. But when we understand that sometimes because of our sin nature, because of our fleshliness, because of our carnality, understanding that truth, it's liberating in a good way, but sometimes it's liberating in a bad way and it makes us think, so it doesn't matter what I do. That's not true either. Practically, positionally, nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. Practically, there are things I can do that will bring unwanted consequences in my life as a believer. So every day, I must make a choice. Today, if I will fear him, serve him, obey him, I'll find a day of usefulness, blessing, fellowship with the creator of the universe. And if I will rebel against this commandment and go my own way and live my, for my own purposes, you know what I'll find? Regret and pain. And at times, pleasure in sin for a season and emptiness. Every day I must make a choice. Isn't, isn't that what Paul taught us? You remember him saying something like this? I die how often? Daily. What does he say? Every day I have a choice. The big if. If I follow God today or if I live for self today. And so every day I try to die. I'm talking about he mortifies the flesh. I try to bring the flesh down and let the spirit rise. God, I'm coming to you and I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my thoughts. I'm giving you my actions. God, today would my words, would my thoughts, would my actions please you. God, today would I choose to follow after you. He was not, Paul was not earning his way to heaven. He was choosing daily to crucify the flesh so that he could live unto God. And again, that is not legalism. 
Legalism is when we teach you that you must do these things for God to love you more or for God to accept you must follow this list of rules either to get saved or to keep, to, to, to make yourself better in the sight of God. No, that is not what we're teaching. We're saying that the, not legalism, but the liberty that we have in Christ is that that's liberty we have where we can choose to willingly. He doesn't force us. There's liberty in Christ where we can choose to willingly love and serve and obey him. Why? To bring honor and glory to him. And then the, the, the little side effect of that is that he gives great blessings in our lives. And when I choose to follow the script, uh, uh, principles of scripture in my marriage, guess what? One of the benefits and blessings is I have a wife that, that is easier to live with. And when my wife chooses to do those, she has a husband that's easier to live with. And we have a, a greater marriage when we choose to do those things. And when children choose to obey the principles of scripture, guess what happens? They don't have parents and youth pastors and pastors and teachers that are always on their case. Guess what happens? All of a sudden there's harmony with their God-given authorities. There's these side benefits, these blessings when we choose if or if, if then, if then. So each day you and I have a choice to make, the big if. What will we do with the future that God has set before us? Your past does not define your future, but God will not force us to follow him. Would you turn with me? Last place we'll turn. I'll wrap it up in about three minutes. I've got one paragraph left. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24. This isn't the only place, and I've given you some New Testament scripture. There's some more Old Testament scripture that shares some of these thoughts. Joshua 24, speaking to the children of Israel as they're getting ready. As, as, as Joshua, Joshua's getting ready to die. He's led these people into the promised land. He's, they're, they're, they're going there. They're following God over Jordan. Joshua 24, verse 13. God had great blessings for them if they would obey him and serve him and walk by faith with him. Verse 13, and I have given you a land, speaking of God to the children of Israel, for which you did not labor. By the way, church, any good thing we have, every good gift cometh from above. Anything in our lives, we, it's not because of who we are. It's God that gives us the power to get wealth. It's God that gives us the mind. It's God that gives us the ability to do any of those things, to love all of that. I've given you a land for which you do not labor. Remember, you're not as important as you think you are. Cities which you built not, and you dwell in them. Of the vineyards and all of yours which you planted not, do you eat? God said, I had all this stuff going. You just kind of came in and enjoyed all my blessings. Notice this, what he says in verse 14. Now, therefore, because of my goodness in your life, we sang it this morning, his goodness is running after our six-year-old asked on the way to church, can we play that song, Dad? And Dr. Melton had sent me a, a, a recording of his choir singing, and I put it on on there. And I asked the kids, where does that bridge, his goodness is running after me, where does that come from in Scripture? Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. The goodness of God should lead men to repentance. Because therefore, because of my goodness that's running after me, therefore fear the Lord, respect, honor, reverence, love, awe, and serve him in what church? In sincerity from the heart and in truth. It's real. It's not something I'm doing to put on a show. I don't read my Bible so my family sees it. I don't, I don't go to church so that people think I'm a good person. It's, I'm serving him in sincerity and truth. That is where we get off in our churches so often. It's a show. No, God wants it to be from the heart. He said, and fear the Lord because of how good he's been. Fear him. Serve him. Isn't that what he said? In sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. Isn't that the same outline from 1 Samuel that Samuel gave them. Fear him, serve him, obey him, get rid of the idols in your life. Verse 15, you know the verse, many of you. Would you read it aloud with me? Ready, begin. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see that second word in that verse? And if, if you've got a choice to make, choose you this day. For me, for my family, whoever I have leadership over, we're serving the Lord. We're choosing to go down that path to fear him, to serve him, to obey him. Verse 16, verse 16, and the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It's so easy to say that and it's so easy to get off track. Skip down to verse 20. If you forsake the Lord, notice this, notice that word again, if. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then 
he will turn and do you hurt. There are consequences. And consume you after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you. If you're going to serve him, you're going to have to get some things out of your life and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve and his voice will we obey. There's some young people in this room today. You need to make a decision. Who are you going to serve? Serve yourself or the Savior? If, 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 serve them in sincerity and in truth. Not because your parents make you. Not because the youth pastor makes you. Not because you're in the Christian school and we have those rules. No, I, I want to serve him. And I, one, because I love him, but I also understand there are consequences to my actions. And if, if I choose this path, path of blessing and fruitfulness and joy and God's goodness is so real in my life and if I choose the path by myself for, for my own purposes it's a path of regret and anybody that's lived for self for any length of time can tell you it's a path of regret and emptiness and heartache and bitterness and what is Samuel? I wanted this to see this in 1 Samuel 12 because we're going to see Samuel choose the wrong if at times and he's going to end up in a wrong spot, but he knew the right way. And if Lord Terry's, maybe, unfortunately, maybe me and maybe you might end up in the wrong spot, but we're told today, we're being given the message, the challenge, the big if. Which way will you choose? A life of God's blessing and pleasing to him or a life of burdens and displeasing to him? Will God be first in your life or will you be? Will you love him or put yourself and others above him? Will you reverence him or live in a way that disrespects his name? Will you serve him or will you serve yourself? Will you obey his commandments or fulfill your selfish desires? Saul's reign, next chapter is about to start in full force. This is the last week of introduction. But Samuel gives Saul and all the people some final words of wisdom. Be aware of the big if as you start this new journey. If Israelites, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I know it wasn't what God planned, but God loves you so much, he can take your mess-ups and use them for his glory. So I don't know how this is going to turn out. It's up to you. Saul, I don't know what your reign's going to look like. It's up to you. Are you going to fear him? Are you going to serve him? Are you going to obey him? Or are you going to rebel against his commandments? And I believe the same thing is true for you and for me today. It was true for Paul every day of his life. He woke up and said, I, I die daily. I've got to make a choice every day. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. And today I say to the folks in this room and those that are watching online, every day this week we have a choice to make. Am I going to live for self or am I going to live for the Savior? Am I going to live in ways that are pleasing to him or displeasing? Oh, it's not to earn more more points with God. It's not to get us closer to heaven, but it's from a heart of sincerity and truth and love. God, you've done so much for me. The least I can do, my reasonable service, is to give you back anything that you can use in my life. Lord, I pray these thoughts would be a help to your people. God, you know that tonight, not a lot of illustrations, no jokes. God, really, just a kind of a sobering Bible study of this chapter. But I believe Samuel's message to the Israelites is still applicable to us today in many ways. We're faced daily with choices in our lives. Young people, singles, married couples, widows, widowers, everybody in between, wherever they may find themselves in this life, God, we're faced with those choices. If, then. Oh, we don't want to do these things, God, to check some box. We want to do them from a heart of sincerity, serving the Lord from the heart, but understanding that while you will forgive our sins, you do not relieve consequences in our lives, and our actions do have consequences. I pray this truth would, would be settled in our hearts, and that God, there would be a group of people here, like the Israelites said with Joshua, we want to serve you. Like the Israelites said with Samuel, we're going to serve you. I pray that tonight there would be some people that would make a commitment that I want to fear him, serve him. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. 
Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.